it is awesome to, to see everyone here. Uh, great to, to see a crowd. And uh, Sarah mentioned that we've been in a, in a series called Definition, just talking about uh, you know, the fact that, that we're adding a lot of different uh, definition around here. If, if you're a new guest, if it's your first time here, uh, this is only like our fifth week in this building, and so we're just as new and, and uh, kind of figuring things out as you are. And so that's one of the, the things of this series. You know, as we say definition, uh, we're still deciding and, and, and really putting in place who we are as a church, finding out uh, you know, who we want to be, how we want the community of Hilliard and Greater Columbus to see us, how we want to reach people, and, and uh, really what we want our, our vision to be and how we're going to express that. And so this series has just kind of been a way that we've been able to, to capture that and, uh, and really, you know, like, this, like the word says, define who we are. And so excited to, uh, to do that again this morning. So before we uh, get going here, maybe we can uh, just, just ask God to uh, open our hearts and our minds. And so will you join with me in prayer? God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for each person here. And God, I pray... Uh, Lord, just as, as we jump into your word uh, this morning, God, that you will, you will meet us here. And Lord, we know that uh, your word, the Bible tells us, wherever two or more are gathered, God, that you are, you are with us. And so we pray that that will be the case, Lord. And we thank you in advance because we, we trust and know that it is. Lord, thank you uh, for, for the opportunity to gather, to be a church. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we define who we are, Lord, we can, we can define individually in our lives and in our families and also define ourselves as a new church, as movement church. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, the last few weeks, I've been uh, sharing some, some different stories, and it seems like they all uh, seem to go back to me thinking I was awesome at sports when I was little, and so I didn't want to break that, uh, that streak at all. I thought I would just share another story this week about me in sports, but actually, I wasn't that good. I got I to gotta be honest. I played 7th and 8th grade basketball, and uh, I was going to actually, okay, I brought a picture. I think it, you guys, will, you'll see it on there. Um, I wasn't going to show it, and then I was like, last, last week I told a story about soccer, and I said that I was incredible, and I, you know, I could have come up and done that again, but I was like, I'm just going to show them how pale I was when they don't, you know, when they don't let you see the sun for an entire year, apparently. And I wanted you also to see my uh, boy band worthy bowl cut just tucked there right behind my ear. So um, that's actually not what I look like. We'll get to that picture here in a second. So uh, I played seventh and eighth grade basketball, and I, I told you a few weeks ago I am from a uh, a town where. Uh, it's, it's super, super small. And so all of the, the, the schools in our county were, were really small, you know, and, and we all had this league, and it's basically the league for all the tiny schools, except there was one, one team that was in this league and we were in middle school that had no business being in there because they were like twice the size of all the other schools. And that school was Triway, and we all hated Triway. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. They're up by Worcester. It doesn't matter, all right? But I, we're from all these schools that were super, super tiny, and so Triway was, was huge. And so in middle school, that's enough right there. Just because they're bigger, they would beat us at everything. So like, I remember playing them in football, and they had a kid that was like 6'4", and literally as I tried to tackle him, ran over top of me, like just like a cartoon, just completely over top of me. And so we would play them in basketball every year, and it, it wasn't much prettier. It was, uh, I don't think they lost a game all of seventh grade. They were just undefeated. They were incredible. We were all these tiny farm schools and hated them. And so in eighth grade, we decided we're going to beat these guys, all right? I don't know how we're going to do it, but that was like the goal in life was to upset Triway. You know, it would make us so happy and make our lives complete. And normally we wouldn't be able to do that, uh, but there was one thing that, that we had that no other school had, and that was Mike Rupp. Mike Rupp was incredible. That's why I'll let you guys see this picture here. This is not actually Mike Rupp, the one, the one of the Incredible Hulk there, Jano. You can throw that up. He didn't actually look like that, but in our minds he did, all right? Because he was that guy that like hit puberty in fourth grade long before anybody else, right? And so he had like sideburns when we were all still like playing with action figures. And then like when we started to get a little sideburn, he had like a full beard, you know? So he was just like a complete man, all right? And so we... Uh, he was incredible. I don't just mean to say this. He was honestly like a perfect mix, if you've ever seen Saved by the Bell, between A.C. Slater 
and Zach Morris. He was like the ladies loved him, but he was also super athletic and had great hair. And so he was just like the complete package, okay? If you've never seen Saved by the Bell, you're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about at all. But just trust me, Mike Rupp was awesome, all right? And so uh, this game came around in eighth grade. We were going to be playing Triway, and we decided that this was, a, this was a huge deal. And like I said, normally we would have had no chance because I was on the team, and that wasn't going to help anything. But Mike Rupp was just, he was on his game that night. And so I want to say, I was trying to think of it this week. I think this guy had 16 points, which you're thinking, 16 points, that's not a big deal. Well, let me tell you, in middle school games, the scores usually like 18 to 19, all right? So scoring 16 points is like scoring 100 in an NBA game, all right? So we thought that this guy was just incredible. And so all night, nothing we could do was better than Triway. We couldn't run plays. They were just smarter, faster. Everything they did was better, but it didn't matter. We would just go and kind of stand around the rest of us. Mike would just dribble around everyone and like put up these amazing shots and like everything was going in. And so we get to the end of this game and there's like, you know, a minute left and we're like, we can actually do this. We're, we're winning. And it comes down to the, the final seconds of this game. And, uh, we're up by one, and, and Triway calls a timeout, and they have the ball, and we're sitting there, and it's like that classic moment, you know, where the coach is like, all right, guys, let's get some lockdown defense going, and he looks at me, and he's like, hey, Mark, we're going to sub you out, all right, and he, he puts this other guy in, he's like, we're going to put him in for defense, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm like in eighth grade fighting back tears, and uh, Triway gets the ball after Mike had just hit the shot, and they, they inbound the ball with like three seconds, they run this play, this guy comes off a screen, takes a shot, nails it at the buzzer, over the guy that had just been subbed in for me because he was better than me at defense. So I don't know what that says about me. But anyway, uh, we, we lost that game. And it wasn't a huge surprise because uh, we were in the locker room, you know, and we're talking and we're like, hey, how many points did you have? And we're like, one? How many did you have? And like everyone else on the team, the highest, the highest point total someone had was like three points. And so we had no business in that game. We never had a chance. The only reason we were in that game was because of Mike Rupp, because he was incredible, because he was in the equation. And it's a weird story to, to kind of open with today, but I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, where you just felt like if it, if it weren't for this person, this wouldn't be happening. If, if this person wasn't here, this wouldn't be possible. I don't know if you've ever felt like, like you were out on a limb or you were completely dependent on someone, but I want us to, uh, to look at a, a story today. Sarah kind of already alluded to it. It's the story of Gideon. And in this story, uh, we're going to look at the nation of Israel. And if God were not in the equation that they were presented, they would have been completely lost. They would have had no hope. So if you've got a Bible with you today and you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, uh, we're going to go there. Our big idea for the day is basically based on that premise Sometimes we feel like we need a miracle. Sometimes we feel like we need something to happen because life is just not working out because we're dependent on someone. Sometimes, if we're honest, we need God to move. We need God to be in the equation so that things are possible. And that might sound stressful. You might think, I don't want to be dependent on someone else. I don't want to have to make them do all the work or sit back and watch someone do all the work. I don't want to have to be the guy that has one point while Mike Rupp does everything. Or I don't want to have to be dependent on what God is doing. Our big idea for the day is God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. And so as we look at this passage this morning, maybe you've, you've studied the Bible before. If not, just let me give you a, a, a tiny bit of background. All right, there is a, there's a, a country called the nation of Israel. Maybe you've heard of them in the Bible. Maybe you've seen them now in the world. But God told Israel that they were his people. And they were all throughout the Old Testament. Those were, those were his people. Those were his, his chosen people, the ones he loved. God told Abraham he would make a great country out of his descendants. And so uh, basically the Old Testament is tracking through that line of people. We see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all these different things as, as God moves with this nation of people. 
And if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, maybe you have, maybe you're manly and don't want to admit it, all right? But, but you know the story that as the nation of Israel grew and grew, they ended up in Egypt. And, and God had to basically go in and, and supernaturally bring them out. He had to, he had to make the, the exodus happen. And so Moses went and he, he brought the people out of Egypt and he took them out because they were God's chosen people and God was going to take them and give them their own country. And so the, the Old Testament traces that, that line of thought, follows the nation of Israel as they're coming out of, the, of, of Egypt. They're coming out of this exodus. They're going to become their own nation. And, and that's basically where we find ourselves now. They've, they've gone on to, to find their, their own land and yet... Israel is still struggling, but God is, is with them. And so this book is called Judges. And I was trying to think, what, how would I explain a judge to someone? Basically, I would consider a judge like a, a grassroots leader. And so Israel is its own nation. They, they've come out of this oppression, and God is, is taking them where he wants them. And, and he's raising up individual leaders, kind of like grassroots leaders. And so uh, if, if, if something would go down that God just needed to use a person to lead their country, he would raise up a man or a woman and do that. And so Gideon is one of those people. And so that's a little background on this passage we're going to be looking at today. This is Judges chapter 6. Verse 1, let me go ahead and and read this to you here. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. All right, so now you know who the Israelites were. You know that they were God's chosen people. You know that they were working toward their own land. That was the background we gave you. And then we jump into their story, and honestly, it sounds kind of miserable for them so far. We find out that they're, they're not following God. They're not doing what God wants from them. They're not walking with God. And, and they're, they're, they're basically facing oppression because of it. They're seeing punishment because of it. And so everything they do is evil in God's sight. And so God is, is kind of allowing for a, for a season these other countries to basically come in and pick on them. It'd kind of be like right now if someone, that bully from middle school just came in and said, hey, give me your chair and your lunch money. And you were like, well, I don't, I don't want it. And then they just took your chair, all right? Basically, this, this country is coming in. These other countries are saying, give us your crops, give us your stuff. We're going to burn your house down. We're going we're gonna to cut all your crops. We're just going to mess up your life. We're going to take your sheep, your goats, all of this stuff, all right? And so it says, Israel, in verse 6 there, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. We'll skip ahead here, but basically Israel's not listening to God. Things are not going well. Their life is not really exciting right now. They're getting bullied, they're getting beat up, and they're getting picked on by bigger countries. And that's kind of where our, our story is going to start right here. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah. Not Oprah. Ophrah, all right? Similar, but not the same. Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizir. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And I'm sorry for laughing, but I feel like sometimes we think that the Bible is so serious that God doesn't have a sense of humor. I think this passage is hilarious, and I'll tell you why. All right? These people are getting beat up, bullied, picked on. This guy is threshing wheat in a wine press. I don't know if you realize that. Okay, so basically, he's hiding out, doing this in secret at the bottom of a cave. And, and this angel shows up and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I feel like maybe that's sarcasm. Maybe I'm wrong, but that'd be like if, if you were that kid in middle school that got picked on and you were eating your lunch in your locker, all right? Just because you knew you were going to get stuff there anyway, so why even fight it? You're just eating your lunch in your locker. 
And a teacher opens the door and is like, hey there, stud, how you doing? You know, or so, hey, mighty hero. I mean, this guy is, is a coward, if we're being honest, right? He's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. It doesn't say he was making wine in a wine press or threshing wheat in a wheat press. He was threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding at the bottom because he's a coward, all right? Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Talking to all the stuff his country has been through. And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. So God shows up is basically talking to Gideon. And, and rather than saying like, Hey, this is awesome. Gideon is right away is like, Hey, um, I was going to ask you, like, where is, uh, where, where's God's been? Where, where's God been? What's, what's been going on with our country? All this stuff that I hear from my ancestors and things have been promised, none of that's happening the way that, that I've been told. And so what's, what's going on with our country? The angel says, God's here. I'm here. Go and lead your country. He's basically giving him affirmation as he's, he's kind of being a coward and asking questions. But Lord, Gideon replied, verse 15, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So God shows up. If God showed up in your life and talked to you or sent an angel, you'd probably think that was pretty cool and be like, all right, I'm supposed to know something here. I think somebody's telling me something, all right? Not Gideon. He's like, hey, I, I got this question or I got this problem or I've been thinking about this or I've been doubting this. God says, here's what's going on. Here's what, here's what I came to tell you. And Gideon still says, well, what, what about this? He's basically saying, I'm, I'm weak. I can't do this and starts throwing out excuses. Verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And so he, he has affirmation of his doubts, his excuses, all the things he's wondering, all the things he, he's never known. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you, he answered. I will stay here until you return. So he, he's, he's talking to this angel. He's talking to the angel of the Lord. He He's, he's got his excuses put to rest. He's, he's, he's had his doubts affirmed. And then he's like, you know what? I still don't believe this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you. And so I need you to stay right here. And so basically he runs off and, and, and gets this offering ready and, and brings it over. And you'll see there in verse 21 it says, Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread and the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. So Gideon was putting this, this weird test before God. And, and his, his questions are answered. I don't know if you guys have ever made a meal and you're just kind of hanging out and it's engulfed in flames and disappears in a mighty offering. That doesn't happen to me. Okay, I'm glad to hear someone laugh because I was looking at your faces. I was like, maybe they do do that all the time. I don't know. All right, that's not a normal everyday occurrence, all right? And so every excuse or, or every doubt that Gideon has is, is being put to rest and being answered. And so God is saying, I'm showing up. Here's who I am. I'm affirming what I've done for your country, where I've brought you, and this is what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to lead this country. Verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And so finally, after, after all of these doubts, all these things he's been wondering, this guy finally decides to, to get with it, right? And he, he, just, he, he, he finally understands, and he's saying, let's go, let's do this. No, 
We'll, uh, we'll kind of skip ahead here, but, but verse 37, he puts down another test for God, all right? He, and then verse 39, he puts down a second test. And he's saying, hey, uh, one more time. I know that God just showed up and talked to me and then engulfed this thing in flames, and I should believe this, but I'm kind of crazy. And so uh, I want you to, I'm going to put this blanket out, and in the morning I want the blanket to be wet and the ground to be dry, and, and then God does that. And then he's like, okay, I want the ground to be dry and the blanket to be wet. And he starts just all these tests, one after another, more doubt, more excuses, and God's saying, I'm here, this is real, this is what I'm asking of you. So we go on to, uh, to, to chapter 7. So Jeroboam, that is Gideon, that's what they're calling him at this point, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. God has called him to lead this army, and so he moves with them, he takes them. After asking and questioning God so many times, he finally believes the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites won't, will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. He rallies this army, and there's a huge number. And God's looking at it and saying, if this army wins, they're going to think they did it on their own. And so imagine if, if someone said at your work someday, hey guys, it's Friday. If you don't want to be here, just go ahead and go home. There'd probably be like two people left, maybe that one brown noser or the guy that stays 80 hours a week anyway, right? Everyone would leave. And so imagine when you're at war, if you're like, hey, if you don't want to be here, if you're terrified or you think death might be scary, because it is, go ahead and leave. Go ahead and go home, all right? That's what, that's what God says. And so immediately this army is, uh, is cut down. So 22,000 people went home. There's only 10,000 left. They send the, the wimpy people, the people that are scared home. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all of those who cup the water in their hands and lap it with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all of those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. All right. So they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and that number is cut down to like a third. And that number is, is suddenly, because God is willing to show his plan and what he's doing here, he cuts that number down to 300, all right? Now, this country was not as big as the United States. There weren't, you know, 300 million. There are estimations that they were in the millions, though. And I don't know about you. I've never seen the United States Army in action, but I've seen some CNN footage and stuff. If there were 300 people defending a country or even a state for that matter, I think it would be terrifying. You know, let's be honest, God has reduced this number to, to a number now. It's like, all right, you, uh, you better be in the equation, God, because 300 people plus the battle that about, that's about to take place doesn't sound like an awesome result to me. But God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. God wants us living in a way that requires him to be part of the equation. Verse 16 talking about Gideon. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. For as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the midnight camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horn and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. 
They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp, Midianites, to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beshetah and Zahara, to the border of Abba Maloha near Tabith. So God uses 300 men to defeat thousands in this army. Not because they're awesome, not because they had the coolest new swords, not because they had like a great slingshot or they were incredible warriors. He, he does this all on his own. These guys actually killed each other and got so confused and terrified that they just run away. And so God delivers this army. He gives Israel the victory, not because they had huge numbers, not because they were, they were awesome, not because they worked out this incredible plan, because they did what he asked them to do. And because when they did that, God was part of the equation. God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. And when the Israelites showed up for battle that day, it required God. Because if they would have done it on their own strength, on their own ability, they would have been dominated. They would have been murdered. They would have been wiped off the face of the earth. But because they had God in the equation, they saw victory. If we, if we bring this, this passage home for us and, and try to apply it to our lives, it's, it's probably not rocket science. It's an obvious question. How are we living or what are we doing where God is in the equation of our lives? Not saying, what are you doing on your own ability? What are you trying right now? What do you want to do later on? What are your goals? What are your short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? What are you attempting right now that if God doesn't show up, that apart from God, it, it will fail? What are you attempting that if God isn't there, it's not going to happen? God is glorified when we depend on him. God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. And his power and, and grace are shown to be perfect when we're at our weakest. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul goes on to say in that passage, So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. God told Israel in this passage, If, if you went and defeated that army with 32,000, you'd think you did it on your own. But when it happens with 300 You'll know who did it. You'll know whose power it was. You'll know who delivered you. You'll know who was in this equation. When we're at our, our lowest, when we feel weak, when we feel worthless, when we're in over our heads, when we're out on a limb, when we've bitten off more than we can chew, and when we don't know what to do, when a situation requires God, when we need God to show up, but we're listening to him and we're obedient, that's when we're in the best place to be. God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. And so how does, this, how does this apply to us? Well, some of you have been here for a few weeks. Some of you haven't. Let me tell you, I already did. Movement Church is a new church. And I've got to be honest, I've never been a part of starting a church before. It's my first launch team. I know I have this microphone and it looks really cool. So I should say something that sounds a lot better than that. Like, I've planted churches all over the country. I haven't, all right? And there are mornings that I wake up and it terrifies me. And there are nights that I go to bed and... And I'm laying there thinking, planning a church, what, wow, I should, I should just be a barber or something. I should do something else, you know. And so I want to be a barber if you don't know that. It's my life goal. Anyway, but there, there are times that it's just, it's terrifying, right? There are times that we're thinking, what is going on here? What does God ask us to do? But there is not a doubt in my mind that God wants people to find their way back to him in Hilliard, this side of Columbus, in Franklin County and beyond. 
There's not a doubt in my mind that God has asked us to start this church in this time period. There's not a doubt in my mind that God brought this team together. There's not a doubt in my mind that as the weeks and months pass, we're going to see people from Hilliard and from this side of town ministered to because this church exists. But that doesn't make it any easier. If I've got to be honest, this is an equation that requires God. This is, this is a situation that really needs God to show up because we can be giving away free money on Sunday mornings and I, I don't know if we could get people to, to get out of bed or not. I mean, let's be honest. America, America loves the things that they do. They, they love football. They love sleeping in. They've got busy weeks. They've got stuff going on. And so nothing I can do can change the hearts of people. Nothing I can do can draw people to God, can make them say, wow, my life is really empty. You know where I should go? Harmony Artistic Center. I hear they've got a good thing going on there with Movement Church. We're asking God to move and build his church because we can show up and and set up some chairs and we can do the things that we've been asked to do, but this equation requires God. What we're trying to build we're, we're, we're obedient as, as humans, as earthly people, and, and we're doing what we've been asked to do, but nothing we can do can finish this equation. Nothing we can do can build a church. We need God for that. And so how does this apply to us? If it's your first week here, if it's your second week here, if it's your 10th week here, if you've been a part of the launch team from the beginning, we need God to be a part of this equation. And God... God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. And so many of us have, have postured our, our lives. We, some, there were people who sold their house. There were people who switched jobs. There were people who moved and people who gave up some of the things that they had, comfortable situations in other places. And they said, we want to see God build a church here. We want to see this thing grow. We want to see God move. And we believe that that is going to happen. But we're still out on a limb. I want you to know, though, that that is the best place to be. At the end of yourself. At the end of your ability, at the end of your strength and, and all of your answers or all of your excuses, when you require that, that God shows up, that's when you get to see him. That's when you get to have a front row seat and that's when you get to worship him because of what you see him doing and what you're seeing that he's capable of. And so I want to I wanna invite us this morning just to, to realize that we're in a situation that, that requires God. We're in a situation where we're asking God to show up but it's the best situation, the best equation that we could put ourselves in, where we need God to get the credit, where we need God to be here so that he can do what he's trying to do, so that he can build what he wants to build and can build this church. Some of us may just need a reminder of that. We've been on a launch team and we've been, we've been doing this, we've been preparing, we've been doing all these tasks and, and just been busy and, and, and bogged down and, and we're forgetting that, that this isn't about us. This is what God has called us to. And so what he wants from us is our obedience. He wants us to say, I know that I'm in this situation and it's not dependent on me. I'm responding like I'm supposed to, but God, I need you to show up. Some of you, you don't know what what your situation is. You know that, that you wish God would show up. You wish that you could see him in your life. You wish that you could feel his presence. Well, let me tell you, the equation of your life requires Jesus. You're never going to feel complete. You're never going to feel as though things are are okay or or everything is great. The equation of your life requires Jesus. It requires you understanding that he died on the cross for your sins, like Lydia alluded to. It it, it requires you to, to understand that we were created to know God and love God, but our sins separate us. 
And when Jesus came to earth and, and died on the cross, he took away the separation that we have from God. He closed that gap and bridged that gap. And through understanding who Jesus is, through understanding that his blood takes away our sins, we can have relationship with God. When we have relationship with God through his son Jesus, he is part of the equation. When he's part of the equation, our life is complete. We have the answers, we have the meaning that we want. Some of you this morning, that's what you need to realize, that you need, you need Jesus to show up in your life for the first time. You need to understand that you need to give your life to him. That may be the step of faith that God is asking you to take. For others, it might just be, like I said, a reminder. God is still in this. God has, God has asked for my obedience. This is how I'm giving my life to him. For some people this morning, maybe you've been looking for a church home. Maybe God has been saying to you, you know, you're not really giving yourself to me. You're not giving your life to me. You're not giving your relationships to me. You're not giving your talents to me. You're not giving your life to me. And so you've been wandering around and saying, okay, God, I, I want to do this, but I don't know what this would look like, and I don't really know any believers. And for the first time, God is saying, I'm here. I'm part of this equation. I'm going to enable you. I'm going to give you relationships. I'm going to give you connections. But maybe you need to take a step of obedience and say, I, I want to I plug in here. I want to be a part of what God is doing, what God is building. And I know that this isn't perfectly comfortable. I know that I don't know everyone. I don't know that it's, it's ever going to be perfect because there's humans and people that mess up all over the place. But God, you're asking me to take a step of obedience and to insert myself here. And you'll, you'll, you'll cover over the gaps. You'll, you'll be there. You'll be part of the equation. You'll make it all work and make it all fit. So this morning, I'm asking you, are you living in a way that requires God to show up? Are you living your life so that God has to be inserted into the equation? If not, do you need to give your life to Jesus this morning? Do you need to, to commit to be a part of the church? I'm not just saying this church, but to be committed to believers, connected to believers. Is that where you're asking God to show up so that he can show himself to you and, and, and build into your life and grow you? If you want to make that commitment, Sarah mentioned we have, we have uh, some tables out here where you can do that. Are you saying, God, I understand what you're calling me to and it's not comfortable, it's not perfect and I feel like a, uh, an incapable army of 300 men, but I give myself to you, I give my life to you, I give my talents to you. Do you need to give your life to Jesus? Do you need to surrender your will, your time to be in the presence of believers, to be a part of this church so that you can grow? God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up. And that means putting ourselves out on a limb. That means being out in places where we're scared, where we're not comfortable, where we know that we can't do things in our own ability and where we're terrified. And this morning, as we worship, I want you to just ask yourself that. Am I living so that my life is dependent on God or am I living so that my life is dependent on me? And be honest with God as we sing and as we pray this morning. You guys can, can go ahead and, and come on up. Be specific. Where are the areas that you need God to show up in your life? Ask him for those things. Gideon was, was very aware of where he needed God to show up. He needed some power. He needed some manpower. And God provided. God is with us as we find our way back to him, as we look to him, as we grow in our relationship with him. And so if you've never felt that God is real and you want to know that, ask him that this morning. Ask him to show himself to you, to open your eyes. If you've been wanting to be connected somewhere and you're saying, God, I want to know if this is what you're calling me to, if this is the place for me, ask him that. 
If you've been here for a while and you're saying, you know, this isn't really my home, and you feel like God is saying, I want you to be connected, I want you to invest in relationships, I want you to be with these people, I'll fill in the gaps, I'll be a part of the equation, you bring your little bit of power and I'll bring the rest, and with your obedience, I'll make something great, I'll build what I want to. Ask God to do that. There are several steps, but the main question this morning, are you living your life so that God has to show up? God wants us living in a way that requires him to show up because he is sovereign, because he is powerful, because he is all-knowing, and he is accomplishing his plan in us. And so we're going to sing a song this morning that just, just says that. God, you are, you are sovereign, you are powerful, you are great, you are working in my life and, and working your plan, and I just need to respond and be obedient. As we sing that this morning, if you realize that you need to give your heart to Jesus, you can come to talk to, talk to me about that, talk to us at the table. But if you realize that you, you haven't really given your life, that you want to be connected here, that you want to pursue God, you want to run after him, you want to join a group, you want to serve, so many different responses. But ask yourself if you're living your life so that it requires God to show up or if you're doing things on your own strength and your own power. Let's go ahead and sing together. <laughs>